As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Harmon, typical Vancouver Canuck fashion, we got the Friday afternoon news dump. Actually, it was earlier in the day, Friday. Oliver Ekman Larson has been bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. Now, look, we had talked about doing an emergency van cast, but both of us were busy that day and, and on uh, other matters, as it were. But look, we've had the weekend to digest it. It's now Monday morning, and we're getting a chance to kind of gauge the reaction and, and do a bit of analysis on it. And I'll tell you this. A move I did not expect to happen, but when you look at this team and a desperate need to move money and and cap space, it seemed like this was the only choice. Fair enough? Yeah, I, like you, was not expecting it just because of how long the buyout is and there aren't a lot of ownership groups that would be okay with uh, with a four-year buyout creating eight years of... um, of dead cap against uh, against the books, but you're right. When you look at not only the immediate relief, but the overall sort of structure of uh, of a potential buyout, if you were going to do it at all, this summer was the only only time to to pull the trigger on it. You get 7.1 million in cap space this summer in a year, which is probably going to be the last year of the flat cap before you start seeing it spike over the next couple of seasons. To get that immediate relief makes um, makes a lot of sense, especially because the Canucks' other efforts to clear out salary cap space had been um, unsuccessful so far, right? Again, when I was at the Combine last week, the whole discussion around the Canucks, besides what they were going to do with the number 11 pick, it wasn't even discussing, oh, what are the Canucks' pro- offseason priorities? What kind of players could they go after? It was, no, 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 before they do any of their business, they have to move out money. And, and every team knew that. And I think it put them in a tough 
negotiating spot when they were, let's say, trying to move off some of their other, other contracts because teams knew they were stuck and nobody wanted to give Vancouver a get out of uh, jail free card. But it's not just Vancouver. It's been hard to move salary for all teams, even going back to last summer. So given that context and the importance of, look, when you go out and you make the type of trade that they did for Philip Peronik, when you go out in the summer before, sign Ilya Mikheyev, re-sign JT Miller, you don't acquire um, significant um, draft capital and, and you're not looking towards the future, you need to make the playoffs next season, right? Like that's clearly for this pl- for this plan to work you need immediate results and for them to get those immediate results to become a legit playoff caliber team for next season they needed upgrades and you and you can't make those upgrades until you of course have some money to spend and that's what this uh, move has done yeah it's given them a little bit of room uh for this season but you know let's go back right i mean we go back to the lo- the final media availability for the season and Patrick Olveen said at that time he did not expect to use buyouts, that they didn't want to be in a situation to have to deal with the the weight, the penalty of that later on when they felt they were a contending team. Um, Oliver Eggman Larson, myself and Patrick Johnston talked to him that particular day, and he said he does not expect to be bought out. He'd had the conversations. He did not expect to be bought out. I talked to the top of the food chain um, and was told no buyouts coming, that they don't want to deal with that. You know, at those critical years, they don't want to have to wear that for the next eight years. But obviously, things changed when they attempted to move money. And and I'm not here to, um, you know, put a bow and pump up the tires of ownership. However, for those that think that a commitment hasn't been made here by ownership to do this, it's a pretty big commitment. And yes, they're going to pay Oliver Ekman Larson less than they otherwise would have, $20 million instead of $30 million. However, understand this is still going to be a cap team. And they're going to be paying that $20 million to the player on top of a maxed cap. Like, that's just going to happen. The only thing they'll save is they're not going to be able to, like, the dead cap money actually helps them from an ownership standpoint. Because, you know, when they get to that point, um, you know, later on, uh, you know, they in 25 and 26, they're going to have to spend $4.7 million less in those two seasons. Uh, so, you know, I guess, I guess there's some savings on the part of ownership there. But overall, this is still a significant investment for owners that are still paying multiple coaches. So yeah, you're right. It, you know, and, and you know, we know what happened when they came out of COVID and they turned off the taps and deserve criticism for that. But right now there's a significant commitment here to do this, but it also underscores to your point, just how difficult it was for this team to get anything done. And, you know, you talked about it that, um, they didn't want to be hamstrung and every team they were dealing with knew what they were dealing with. And that's why they took it in the first buyout window. They did it immediately so they could function differently without everybody having a gun to their head. Yeah, this was a proactive decision. And I mean, they had a they would have had a long window until I believe June 30th, I want to say, to execute a buyout if they wanted. But they, I think, were able to sort of clearly read the market and go, it's not going to be easy for us to clear out some of that money. And you think about what it could have potentially taken to to in other ways manufacture some cap space you're looking at a player like Tyler Myers right one year's one one year left at a 6 million dollar uh, 6 million dollars and you talk about okay sure once you pay out the bonus it's only 1 million left in actual cash but we know that the bonus is September 15th first of all which doesn't really help your ability to create cap space proactively so that you can spend it the summer but also looking at the history of 
these cap dump type of trades, even if it's one year, if you're looking at a $6 million cap hit, it's it takes a lot. It's expensive. Um, you look at, for example, Sean Monaghan was one year left at $6 million, cost a first-round pick. Patrick Marlow, one year left at a $6 million cap hit, um, cost a first-round pick. Other deals sort of in the four and a half, five and a half million dollar range cost at least a second plus another piece. So it's like, even after you count for, okay, maybe you wait it out and for whatever reason, take it till September or, or or whatever scenario you look at, it would have cost a lot to get off of um, uh, Myers in in all likelihood, at least based on the on the precedent of past cap dump type of deals. Since his his contract is a little bit different, where like you look at Garland and, and Besser, and those are at least good players, and they're slightly overpaid. Whereas Myers, you can look at and go, okay, he's still an NHL defenseman, but he's not worth anywhere near six million. So. You can understand why a team that is light on assets is hesitant to give up uh, significant sweeteners to get off of money. But you're right. It is a, a buyout is typically a last resort option for teams uh, because it is a lot to ask from an ownership group. And as you had said, at the end of the season, they spent... They they the they spoke as if they weren't intending to to use buyouts, but that's the key word, right? Intend. They didn't intend to use buyouts, and um, clearly the the market moved in a way where they had sort of no no other option, and um, this gives them now some breathing, right? Even even when we talk about okay, what comes next, I would not be surprised if they continue trying to move out some of uh, their other contracts, right? Because now you have a little bit more leverage, right? You have other options. Teams can't just bully you and um, and try and, and try and sort of exploit you. Now you now you have flexibility to where you actually have some leverage at the negotiating table. Yeah, and when you when you look at the situation, I think their plan, their preference at the time had been to kind of get Ekman Larson number one physically rehabilitated because they felt that the injury suffered at last year's Worlds was affecting him all the way through, right? Like he never really got past it. Could they get him to the point of being a number five defenseman? And now I think they're going to pivot and try to do that again with Tyler Myers, right? If they can improve the blue line sufficiently enough that you can move him into a different role. And, you know, there, there still may be some upside to paying the $5 million or moving on from that in September. Because it still does give you flexibility in and around the trade deadline and elsewhere during the regular season to make trades if you need to, right? Like there is still a positive to potentially trying to do that. But failing that, you know, what their goal had been, had they been able to move OEL, now kind of shifts to Myers a little bit. I mean, ultimately, the two of them is a third pair if they actually could have that deployment, even though it was extremely inefficient in terms of contracts probably is where they both belong in terms of their actual true talent. But, you know, is there a world where that happens for Myers now? Yeah. I, and in fact, I would say the Canucks are probably better off holding. Uh, if, uh, if the price is, let's say a second round pick plus, then in my mind, the Canucks don't have enough future assets to justify giving that up for cap relief that only lasts one season. And, um, and especially because this is a player that for whatever reason, if you sort of struggle out of the gate or you aren't in a playoff position by the trade deadline, you can retain money on him and given his size. And and if he does bounce back, um, you know, in fact, if you also involve a third team and get a third party broker, he could have real value at the trade deadline as a, as a trade chip. So 
for me, I have no problem problem with uh, with holding on to him at this point, just because I don't want to give up more assets. So let's look at what the savings looks like, right? I mean, there's obviously a tremendous savings for Vancouver in the first year. They're only going to pay uh, less than 150,000 in the cap in the name of Oliver Ekman Larson. Year two, 2.346 million is the cap hit. So again, significant savings there, close to 12 million in those first in those first two years. Where the pain in this comes from a cap standpoint is the next two years because the savings isn't as great. $4.76 million in 25-26 and 26-27. And I know that uh, Drancer has got his breakdown on The Athletic about uh, the, the ramifications and after effects of this trade. And those are the two years that concern him most, and, and rightly so. The final four years of the deal, you're looking at a $2.1 million cap hit in each of those four years, again, over and above where the contract currently ends. Right. So they're going to have to feel that for those four years. But the se- the third and fourth years of this deal. And the reason that becomes a concern is they get right into the sweet spot of where you're at with Demko, Pedersen and Hughes. And of course, we understand that either this year or next year, they're going to have to give Pedersen a big ticket. So a lot of that cap savings is going to be directed there. Right. And then you've also got, you know, Thatcher Demko. So you've got the core of this team. Right in that window, you've also got Kuzmenko, who's on a two-year deal now, a two-year extension, who right when that deal expires, if he continues to produce at the rate he's producing, is going to want significant dollars at that point. And that's going to come in the years where now you're, you're spending $4.7 million still. And again, it, you're still looking at some savings, but not significant savings in those years. Sure. And, and it's what you noted at the end there, right? Where... I mean, at the end of the day, even if you didn't buy him out and he was still on those books, those two years that you're sort of referencing, effectively, OEL at that age would be dead dead cap hit anyway. Like, let's be honest, I would not have any confidence in him bouncing back and playing at anywhere near top four level uh, in 2025, 2026, 2027. Yeah, fair. Uh, given the way his, his foot speed looked. And so to me... That would have been seven point two six million or whatever his cap it was for Vancouver in dead cap space anyway. So that's not as big a big of a concern for me. Just because again, you were like those are the years where OEL like it is a concern, like it is a problem that you have to navigate, but it was already a problem before the buyout, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, it's it not does. a new problem that you've created. It's not a case of like, oh man, they 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 could have just waited this deal out and instead they kicked the can down the road and those are the years where it's going to kill you like those are the years where that was going to be a problem regardless um and the math is honestly more favorable for a buyout than i would have initially imagined because the years where you are kind of kicking it down kicking the can down the road um those extra four years the the dead cap it is 2.1 million um in, in that sort of um range which isn't great but at that point the cap is probably a lot higher anyway, and I think you can still live with that. You can work around it. It's not. It's not like uh, when the Wild have been sort of having to navigate around uh, Suter and Parise's buyouts, where it's going to ha- hamstring your ability to create a contender. So, considering the scale of this deal, the 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 financial side cap wise of this buyout isn't actually like it's it's still painful. Don't get me wrong, but it's not quite as. Uh, destructive as it um as it could have been drancer refers to this as the biggest ordinary course buyout in nhl history 
you know, factoring in the front-loaded contracts of Suter and Parise in Minnesota. Um, think about that. And, and this is an organization that has made a living with dead cap space, right? Uh, whether it was Luongo or Vertanen or Holtby, or like they, they just live in this world, the biggest in the history of. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, that's in terms of salary left, right? Correct. And so that's yeah. where, of course, with, you know, the, the, again, the Parise and Suter buyouts are a great example of of buyouts where that's affected their cap situation way more than it's going to affect Vancouver's cap situation. But you're right. And and this is why most buyouts are only a year or two, right? Um, in terms of their remaining length, because if it's a situation of like four years left, well, what's going to happen with that is 2031 is when OEL is going to actually finally be or might even be 2032 because 2031 is the final year of it being on the books but that's you're looking at the next decade when you when you're finally clear of that uh commitment in um in full that's painful right but that's also where a, a reflection of look even if there was a scenario a magical one where OEL had been willing to move his no move clause right you go to him with the threat of okay we're going to buy you out if you want to keep this guaranteed money you got to be flexible in terms of your destination. Nobody's going to take that contract because it's got four years left. Again, you look at salary dump trades. All of those are usually only one or, one or two deals. And even in those cases, you're paying up a lot in, in assets. So even if you had this alternate reality where OEL is all of a sudden has no trade protection, even in that world, there's no way you're getting off of that contract in any type of uh, re- reasonable capacity, and so it, it's your it's your only ticket out. And it is the unique cap savings of it was now or never in terms of it making sense or not, because it's seven point one million in savings this summer, uh, just shy of five million next summer. But then after that, the savings are more modest, and at that point later down the road, it would not have really made much sense. Um, to to execute a buyout, so uh, despite it, despite there being four years left on the deal, it actually in a roundabout way still made sense. Um, even though, look, it's it's a massive massive buyout, and it just reflects how disastrous that uh, that original trade was. One of the worst in franchise history. Do you, buy, you know what? Before we go there, let's 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 take us through the conversation that. Would happen between Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford and Francesco Aquilini and all of this. Should we, should we do some role playing? Sure. I don't know where this is going to go, but okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll I'll be I'll be management. You be the owner. Okay. Listen, Francesco. This is not our fault. You should never have allowed this trade to happen when Jim Benning made the trade. Like this was ridiculous that you would allow this. This is, you know, we you've put us in this situation. You wanted us to turn this team around. You wanted us to rebuild. You wanted us to get back into the playoffs, but you've got this anchor hanging over our head. This is not our fault. This is your fault. You need to allow this to happen. Move money. There are other contracts. We've tried, but everybody knows that we're up against it. And there's no other contracts that are going to be moved without sweeteners. And we don't have enough assets because your last GM mortgaged them all. Can you promise me the playoffs next season? Yes. Done. <laughs> that's like our that's like our uh, our preseason uh, our, our preseason spoof when I said more money done. Yeah, no. I, I definitely don't think we should get into the acting business. But, no, we shouldn't. Um, I thought it was pretty good there. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, like that is like in terms of actually selling the buyout, right? Like that's 
that's how likely how they would have gotten the approval, not necessarily promising making the playoffs, but sort of going, hey, we're stuck here. And if we want actual flexibility, we can make the playoffs next year. We're confident in that ability. But until we add another top four defenseman, until we go out and get a third line center, we aren't going to be confident in that. But once we make those upgrades, we are a lot more confident in that. Let us execute this buyout so that we can get this team back to the playoffs, which is ultimately what you want as an ownership group. Yeah. So just like Benning sold them that uh, OEL being on this roster would get him to the playoffs, uh, the new management team has sold them that getting him off would also get you into the playoffs. Do you get the, do you buy the notion that the reason this move happened as quickly as it did is because there's another move pending? Close. Could be possible. I, I don't know for sure. That's the honest, um, honest answer. I don't know if there is something brewing, but. Given how aggressive they were about it, it's certainly, again, like they had time. They had a lot of time to sort of make this decision, even up until the draft, right? Which is June 27th, 28th. Last week of June, there's a lot of runway beforehand. So it is possible. It is possible, possible, but I, I don't know. Like the honest answer is I, I don't really have anything reporting wise to, to share. It could make logical sense. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll kind of get into where the Canucks should be looking at spending at this point, along with some other non-OEL-related topics. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just a reminder, my appearance in the van cast brought to you by my good friends at Key West Ford in New Westminster. So now, Harm, they've got this money. Uh, and they potentially could have more because if it puts them in a more favorable position in terms of trying to move other assets without a level of desperation that they carried a week ago. How concerned are you? Because understand, you know, you, you've still got a team that's got to spend a big chunk on Pedersen, either this offseason or next offseason. Either way, an extension would kick in next offseason, so it won't affect them in 23-24, but it is going to affect them going forward. Um, how do you think they're going to spend this money in a very weak free agent class? Well, I hope that they are thoughtful about trying to explore the the trade market. And if they do approach the free age, free agency route, which there are, you know, a couple players that could be attractive considering the Canucks' needs, you have to be disciplined about you gotta have a have a price that you're willing to pay and not be willing to go above it if if there's suddenly a bidding war, right? Like you look at a player like Ryan Graves, right? Six foot five, just this absolute beast in terms of his uh his makeup and he's actually 
a legitimately good player, right? This isn't just a guy who's a really big body and because of that, teams are coveting him. No, he legitimately has played matchup minutes before, sound defensively in his own zone, first over the boards on the penalty kill, actually moves decently for a size as well. And he he has a, just enough skill with the puck on his stick to be able to complement a puck mover. Right, he's. It's not a case of some some guys have the size and they have the defensive acumen, but when they have to go back for defensive zone retrievals, they can't make the simple five to ten foot plays that would allow them to 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 play high leverage minutes next to a dynamic sort of offensive type uh, type partner. Right, but you look at Graves; he does legitimately check those boxes, and he would be a, a sensible fit, especially somebody who'd be able to help upgrade the penalty kill would give them some um, some of that size on the back end. Defensive intelligence, help break up the cycle, defend the front of the net a lot better. But he's the type of player that in a weak free agent class is going to be in really high demand. And so you've got to be mindful of, okay, if he clocks in at the right price, sure, go after him, makes sense as a target. But man, you worry about a bidding war. And if there's a bidding war, you don't want to be the team that, uh, that overpays because look, if the Canucks with this cap space, if they just go out and spend it recklessly again, then then what's the point, right? You're just creating more. You you got out of one problem just to create another one. You're never going to get out of this cycle of of mediocrity then, uh, and that's where it's going to be. You know, really interesting to see how they approach a free agency and uh, especially the trade market too, because now now there are a couple of. Names when you look at um, you know top four defensemen that beforehand you wouldn't have looked at as guys the Canucks can go after, but now that they have flexibility, and these guys would the problem that you run into in the trade market is what are you going to give up assets wise? But you think about a guy like Brandon Carlo, right? Boston is really up against it; they need to move money out, uh, especially from the back end. Um, a right shot stay at home guy like Brandon Carlo would check some of those similar boxes. Be a guy that. Uh, Quinn Hughes could play with for for quite a while. Although the big concern with him is, of course, he's had concussion histories in the concussion history in the past. Um, you know, in Carolina, Brett Pesci, right, has a lot of those attributes in terms of the lockdown defense, the size, penalty killing, plays really tough minutes. Um, is a UFA at the end of next season, um, and if Carolina can't extend him, we'll probably shop him. Same thing with with uh, Noah Hannafin in Calgary. Like there are some good defensemen available. It's just you have to f- find the sweet spot between both the contract and the assets that you're giving up if it's, if it's on the trade front in terms of what you're actually paying to acquire that talent. Priority, third line center or improving the back end? For me, it would be the back end. I, yeah, I'm um, going third line center. Really? Yeah, I, I just think I there's think- a bigger gap there. There are fewer options. I mean, you could even make the case of replacement level players that are already in the organization or in the building that we saw in smaller sample sizes last year. And you, and you know me, I'm kind of the the champion of the, of the Christian Wallanen bandwagon here. But I, like, I'm even without him, it just feels to me that there are other players and other options that still put them ahead of where they were previously with OEL and Myers. Whereas there's just a bigger drop off there. You can't take Nils Oman and make him a third line center for a full season for a, a, a playoff team. That's just not reasonable. Well, the, nah, I would disagree because now you have a situation where, you know, beforehand we were talking about Bear and it was a thought of, okay, he may still be ready for the for the start of the season. You can still pencil him into the top four. Even if, if he misses a few games, it won't be too long. But now the timeline announced by the team is six months. Yep. 
he may not be back by December. And even when he comes back, you're talking about a fringe, uh, a guy who's a fringe number four or five, who you're already expecting to play above his ability level in the top four. If he's missed a normal offseason training, if he's missed training camp, if he's missed preseason, if he's missed a big chunk of the regular season and you expect him to c- come back and and be 100% of uh, of his ability level right away like you can't bank on that like in my mind because the timeline is longer than anticipated i don't have a lot of i i I can't with certainty bank on bear providing top four minutes for me next season Uh, so you so let's let's digress a little bit let's take a tangent here to bear and and talk a bit about his contract and how that contract is going to be impacted by this injury and whether or not they want to go down the road of qualifying him to protect the asset at that number, which is pretty sizable, or do they decide that uh, they're going to try to get a one-year deal done? Like, you know, if you're the player now, you're probably less inclined to sign a one-year deal for anything below the qualifying offer number, given the fact that the club's probably going to try to get you at a lower deal that essentially is reflective of half a season worth of work. Yeah. And that's why at this point, right? Because when we had this conversation again uh, last week and we didn't say it changed a whole lot about the situation, you know, I was assuming he'd be back in October, but at this point I, I have a lot more concern about the timeline. And so if I'm the Canucks, I would not, I would not want to qualify him, but I, again, I'd be trying to get a one-year done, one-year deal done below the qualifying offer, and and if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't bite, if they're insistent on a one-year deal being at the, I think it's a two point two million dollar qualifying offer, correct? Yeah, at that minimum level, then from the Canucks, I I would, I would consider my other options. I don't know if I'd be willing to take that type of risk for a player who might miss. Not only misses a significant chunk of the season, but when he returns, is he even going to be at his um, full potential? But you can take a, a chunk of that two point two and put it on on the injured list, right? Where it's not going to count against your cap. Uh, well, w- once he comes back, though, you're going to have to like it's you're you, it, once you activate him from LTIR, something's going to have to give, right? Yeah. It's not it's not like a case of like you know, Vegas with Mark Stone or Tampa with Kucherov, where it's like yeah. guy misses the entire regular season. And, you know, by the playoffs, there's no salary cap. So you can activate sure. him without clearing other money out. If you're, if you're, if you spend above the cap with the assumption that bears on LTIR, you're going to have to then make other moves to clear that money up. Would you let him walk? If, if his demands are above his qualifying offer, or even at his qualifying offer, I, yeah, I, I, I think it'd be a legit, a legit option. I, it, it'd be something I'd consider. Yeah. Um, really, I'm, I still uh, want to make it work. Don't, don't get me wrong. I would still like, if it's one and a half, maybe even 1.75 on a one year deal, I would, uh, I would get it done just because I don't think there are a lot of great alternative options in terms of competent right shot defenseman. But I mean, it's just even after the OEL buyout, you're talking about, I think, roughly eight and a half million dollars in cap space. And considering you have a couple of significant needs in terms of a third line center and a top four defenseman, it's still tight. Now, maybe the equation changes if you get off of, let's say, Garland or a Bavillier or, or a Besser and you've got more breathing room to play with. That scenario then might change. But with eight and a half in flexibility and a couple of other needs, still important, expensive ones that you have to address. I would not, uh, I don't know, I just would not be able to justify spending a lot on Bear at this point. No, me neither. Um, with that, 
Are you surprised there haven't been any discussions with Kyle Burroughs yet? According to Dollywall, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, he, he posted there have been nothing uh, in, in the way of discussions. The Noah Juleson stuff started recently, but very quiet on the Kyle Burroughs front. And I thought he did some good things for this team last year. Yeah, I'm surprised, especially because, look, uh, he's the type of player that, look, you, you don't want him in your top four by any means, but when the when the Canucks had to throw him in there for the first handful of games at the start of the regular season, despite the rest of the team being trash out of the outset and losing all those games, Burroughs was actually like held his own just okay, right? And so you look at that, you look at again his physicality, can play both sides, and I don't mind like I around league minimum, I would have liked to bring him back as um, as a depth defenseman, but I'm guessing it's the lack of size, right? That sort of works against him when management and coaching staff looks at the construction of the blue line and, and what they need. Um, if I was in the Canucks position, I'd still want him back as a depth guy, near league minimum. But um, but he wants a one-way deal, which you could still effectively fine. bury. Yeah, it doesn't. It wouldn't affect your cap, right? So, I yeah, I'd be fine with, the, with giving him a, one, a one-way deal around uh, league minimum. But the fact that it's been so quiet to this point... Um, Seems like, you know, he might end up moving on. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, you would think that at this point, there would have at least been something uh, given how close we are to free well, agency. We've seen these deals happen go, late, but go ahead. Let's go back to the third line center and top four yeah. D debate then. Given the uncertainty around Bear, like how, like, why are you like, don't get me wrong. Like you still need to find a centerman. I just think in terms of what you make your main priority, I think at this point it should be top four um, uh, top four defenseman. Why do you think uh third line center? Like, or or the better question might be, why do you like? How do you think you can get away with maybe a more inexpensive route of fixing the top four? Well, I mean, like I, I for one, for me, I just always feel that no matter what we say or no matter how it happens, Tyler Myers at some point is going to find himself in the top four. It just always happens. So if 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 that is going to be the case. And Hironic winds up being on the right side in the top four as well. Now you're looking at adding to your bottom pair. And then maybe by the time you get to Christmas and Bear comes back into the lineup, now that gives you some flexibility with Tyler Myers as you get closer to the trade deadline. Right. So again, now that leaves you like razor thin there and behind, you know, and I've certainly not wanted to see a scenario where Hironic uh, plays with Hughes in a top pair. But this situation might force you into that, right? And we also see Luke Shen as a potential viable option who seems to have, you know, who, who did good things when he was here in Vancouver last year, has spent time with Quinn Hughes, uh, certainly doesn't look like anything's going forward there in Toronto. So I do think there is a Ethan Bear level option available to this team that they can go out and get, right? And between them, maybe they can, you know, between Myers and, and uh, Shen, it's not ideal, but there might be some pieces there that you can that you can look at on the right side. Uh, I just I look at Nils Oman, who I really like as a player, but I just think he's a bottom pair play, or bottom line player at this point, right? And I think that's been the biggest thing the club has identified to this point, um, with you know with an understanding that they were going to do everything they could to move one of those expensive defensemen, even at the end of last season, not necessarily the buyout route, but I think we knew they were going to explore every possibility. And, and quite frankly, I'm surprised that they didn't use kind of the 
the leverage of a buyout as a possibility to even explore trade options on OEL, although we both know that that was going to be highly unlikely given what it was going to cost to move that deal. But like I said, I mean, I think there might be some veteran options that they can bring in as a stopgap. It's not like Bears an elite top four defenseman to begin with. Uh, in terms of that being the defining factor as to why defense over third line center. I just think it's a bit more of a gaping need there uh, for uh, for them because of the, the glut of wingers that they have. You need more legitimate options for eight wingers to play with, or sorry, for six wingers to play with as I see it. The problem is if you go Hughes uh, Hironic on the top Which pair, I don't like, which I don't like. Well, well, yeah, you'd be, you'd be forced into it, though, because like, otherwise you've like got Bear Hughes Myers. But I don't like Bear with him either. Bear was just fine with Hughes. I mean, you and look at their underlying numbers. They were really strong together. It's not the great, great, greatest stylistic fit um, in terms of having two smaller guys who are put, more. What happens if you got to put Shen with Hughes if they bring him back? Okay, right, right. But th- that's that's my point, right, is you you have to go out and make that addition, right? Like that's, Understood, but I just think it's a, it's a viable addition that's not a reach for this team at this stage. Whereas I think some of the options at, at center are going to be a little bit bigger to navigate. But even in, even in the, like, but as, as it stands, you're looking at Hughes Hironic and then mystery player on the left side next to Tyler Myers. Like that second pair would still like worry me a ton. Like that would yeah. scare the crap out of me. I don't know if, I don't think you're making the playoffs like that. Like with just some fit, like if you've spent on third line center, and now all of a sudden you can only you know afford to go after like more of like a, a stopgap depth option, a stopgap depth option on the left side and Tyler Myers. That would terrify me as a second pair going into um, yeah. next season. And so to me, because you need even even if you don't want to go go like in my mind there are two holes like you and and that's why to me finding an external option for upgrading the blue line is important even if it's a guy like luke chen right which i i agree is a sensible option as a stopgap i just think that um you know and don't get me wrong like i agree i also agree with you that third line center is also a big need you need to somehow find a way to make it all work which is why again i've, I've sort of been thinking that the canucks may not be done in terms of trying to clear money out um but i just think there are more holes on the back end than there are like on you know at third third line center you've got multiple there as opposed to one there no that's fair that's fair i yeah there is volume on the back end that needs to be addressed i mean you can't have all of them be be younger players and internal improvement before we go travis green report today that uh, suggests he may be on his way to new jersey to uh to be a lead assistant there calgary had a game an option and there may have been an option in toronto but it looks like calgary or sorry it looks like new jersey is the landing spot for the former canucks head coach yeah, I think it's a great landing spot for him. Obviously, Andrew Burnett had left to go to uh, Nashville, so it created that opening on Lindy Ruff's staff. And you look at the Devils, right? Young, rising uh, team, ton of talent on the back end, up front. That team's going to be a powerhouse for years to come. And the other benefit is you aren't in uh, a like a mad market like a Toronto, right? You are, you don't have that level of, of pressure and scrutiny. You can kind of just do your thing. And um, it's like, it's a fantastic opportunity to be part of winning team because look, that's usually what happens, right? Is when teams are looking at potential head coaches in the future, they typically pluck assistant, like one of the routes that they'll consider is plucking assistance from 
um, from really good teams, right? When you look at Detroit hiring Derek Lalonde, who, who is an assistant on uh, Tampa staff, um, obviously Nashville with Brunette from New Jersey staff. It, it happens quite often. I mean, Washington going going out and getting um, Spencer Carberry from uh, the Leafs' staff. So I think that's I, I think that's a smart job by by Green to position himself in a, in a favorable spot. What does Quinn Hughes tell his brothers about Travis Green? <laughs> Um, honestly, I think he probably tells them good things, right? Because you have to understand Hughes, like, sorry, Green earned a lot of Hughes' respect in the fact that as a rookie undersized defenseman with no NHL track record, 20 years old, that Travis Green tapped Hughes on the shoulder and said, I'm going to trust you to play top pair minutes against the other team's best players, right? Opening night. Yeah. He's going up against. Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. Like, that's a lot of trust. And I really think that level of um, faith in Hughes, not sheltering him, not keeping him away from the other team's best players, not met, like not being careful about his minutes right away, just right away having that confidence in in Hughes. I think that um that that earned a lot of respect. And because of that, I think Quinn will probably have positive things to say about. Uh, Travis there, especially because, you know, Luke Hughes is now going to be a rookie trying to break into the team. And I'm sure Quinn has great things to say about being a young defenseman coming up and, you know, how how Travis gave gave, gave him a lot of rope coming up. Yeah, I didn't think he'd have to take a step back to be an assistant before uh, getting the head coaching chair again. But here we are, and it's probably a good place for him to be. And with that, uh, we wrap up this edition of the Van Cash. We do want to let you all know that uh, former NHLer Patrick O'Sullivan joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on the Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesday. And you can also get a new subscription to The Athletic for just $1 per month for just 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. There's some great content there. As I mentioned, Drancher's done an off-season primer. Uh, more thoughts from him on the Oliver ekman Larson deal. Uh, actually, you were part of that uh, as far as the uh, the analysis and why the Canucks are executing that. Uh, have you got any more coming up on the on the site? I haven't figured out. We definitely have more coming coming out. I just we haven't figured out exact timelines of when things are dropping. But it's 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 a busy time. We're going to be dropping a lot. And you are going to be at the draft next week. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we should also let the VIPs know the VanCast returns on Monday. We will have Shane Malloy, uh, NHL draft expert, with us as we break down uh, the draft. That's our draft preview uh, going into uh, to Wednesday and Thursday's draft, and we will do a live room in and around the draft. So it's just going to depend on what happens with the Canucks. So if the Canucks make a big deal in round one on the draft day floor, we will do the live room that night. If not, and they just make their standard selection, we will do a live room the following night after the entire draft is over. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, we know we want to give the VIPs plenty of options to weigh in and uh, enjoy uh, everything the Canucks have going on because it's a busy time right now. You've got the draft. You've also got free agency coming up right after that. And we will give you all the coverage you need. For harm, I'm Farhan. Thanks for logging on.